0: And I pray that you're first in our lives right now, that you will remain the priority and first in our lives this week. Thank you for who you are. And Lord, may you be exalted and lifted up, speaking through me to put the spotlight on Jesus this morning as we open your word to us. And all God's people said, amen. Girls, be gone from me. Go. I know I did that to get everyone's attention, so I'm ready to do a little Sunday school with him. So tend to it every other week. So yep, kind of getting back to normal around here. But I've always wanted to say that to the Lindsay kids. Be gone from me. So and. Sometimes Brian wants to say, be gone for me, right? <laughs> it's a... So, Well, I want to begin this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, this verse, how would be your name, as we learn more about how to pray. And we're going to talk about what a name matters. So throughout history, a person's name has always meant more than just a way to identify themselves. Right. It's kind of well. It doesn't. It kind of. It does speak to the kind of person they are, kind of their very nature. And, and writers of books and of movies, even to this day, recognize this. And so here are just a few examples from some some books and movies. This is from The Lord of the Rings: The Two Towers. Did you remember those movies? Okay. This is Aragorn speaking to a young boy named Haleth. He says, what's your name? He says, Haleth, son of Hama, my lord. The men are saying we will not live out the night. They say it is hopeless. Aragorn then picks up Haleth's sword and says, this is a good sword. Haleth, son of Hama, there is always hope. Now I always just kind of laughed when I was reading that inter- or watching the interchange because what if that's the way that we spoke today? You know. So I'd be Chris, son of Jerry. Be Mark, son of Chris. Okay. Well the reason why they do that is that this young boy, whose name is Haleth, it's not just Haleth, it's Haleth son of Hama. Because the boy was had not made a name for himself, and so he was recognized not by his own name, but by who? The name of his father, exactly. Do you know that Jesus was recognized by his earthly father's name? When he claimed to be the bread that came down out of heaven, the people said, is not this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now I know that most of us have seen probably The Lord of the Rings or one or two of those movies. How many have seen the movie The King's Speech? It's a good movie, you may enjoy it. It's about the Duke of York who, of course, becomes King George, and he, of course, has a speech impediment. He's a stutterer, okay? And he befriends his speech therapist, Lionel. This is their first conversation in the movie The King's Speech. Lionel says, what do I call you? To which the Duke of York replies, your Royal Highness, then it's Sir after that. And, of course, he's doing this in a stuttering, broken language. Well, it's a little bit formal for here. I prefer names. The Duke of York then says this, Prince Albert Frederick Arthur George. So he says, how about Bertie? The Duke of York gets this look in his face, and says, only my family uses that. He says, well, perfect, And here it's better if we're equal. So again, the Duke of York was known by his forbearer's names. Now when the Duke of York, of course, succeeded his brother, To be king, guess what he had to do? He had to choose a new name. Here is, in the king's speech, a conversation he has with Winston Churchill. Churchill says, have you thought what you will call yourself? hmm?" Now this time the Duke of York is so concerned about becoming king, he can't even speak. He's stuttering, stuttering, stuttering. Churchill says, certainly not Albert, sir, too Germanic. Now why would he not want to take the name Albert? Being it's a Germanic name, because at the time he's becoming king, they're about to enter into World War II. and Germany was everybody's enemy. Again, the Duke struggles to speak, and Winston Churchill says this. Well, what about George after your father? George the Sixth has a rather nice continuity to it, don't you think? So again, the importance of a respectable name. Not just in the letters that make up the name, but rather a name that reveals something about the person. Thus, if you have a good name, it is to be protected. How many of you are DC fans? DC Comics, Batman fans, okay? In the movie Batman Begins, Alfred has this exchange with young Bruce Wayne. Those are Bruce Wayne's guests out there. You have a name to maintain, To which Bruce Wayne replies, I don't care about my name. Well, it's not just your name, sir. It's your father's name, and it's all that's left of him. Don't destroy it. So again, we see a name is something to maintain. It's something to protect. It's not to be destroyed because it reveals something of the nature of the person. It's tied to a person's reputation. In fact, it's so important to God to name his only begotten son, they did not allow Joseph or Mary to name him. Remember that? No. She will bear a son, Matthew 1.21, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So they were told to name him Jesus. Even comedians recognize the importance of a name. Comedian Jerry Seinfeld says this, did you ever notice a lot of butlers are named Jeeves? I think when you name a baby Jeeves, you've pretty much mapped out his future. I mean, not much chance he's going to be a hitman. Like, terribly sorry, sir, but I'm going to have to whack you. I thought, okay, let's, I'll look this up. What are some of the names just of the elders in this church and their meanings? Okay, here's my name, Chris, and of course it means follower of Christ. Anyone know that by chance other than me? Couple of you did. Well, here is Don's name. That's what this means. <laughs> he is a follower of Carol. Okay, Frank. <laughs> it means Costco. You ever talk to Frank and your conversation doesn't veer towards Costco? Doesn't really happen that much. Shannon's back there, like, yeah, that's that's right, that's right, that's right. Ron, you ready? You know what this one's going to be. You know what this one's going to meet Ron. He never stops talking. That's what it means, so. There we go. Something. To, names are just very important, okay? Very important to God. This is what God told Moses about his name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness, again, God is good, see, pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I'll be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So names are important. Just look at some of these names of God that you see up there. It reveals who he is. Don't worry, you'll get this sermon sent to you so you don't have to write this down. But those are just some of the names. Here's some more names of God that we just see. And it's not all the names, but just some of the names of God. And that would be what we would call God the Father, let's say. But here are some specific names for Jesus. Remember this verse? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called what? What? Wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace. So a name is the totality of all the attributes of a person. I and mean, it's, it's not a title. In biblical times, when you called a person's name, you weren't just identifying him. you're identifying their character. So understanding the importance of a name helps you understand, I think, this story from the Bible. A little test for everybody this morning. Do you remember how God delivered his people from a bondage in Egypt? How did he do it? Plagues, ten plagues. Let's see if we can get the ten plagues as a whole church in order. All right? All right? So, what's the first plague? First plague. You got it. All right, the second plague. So, like, some of you are thinking, I wish I was up in my Old Testament right now. They're sharing the back, trying to cheat. She's back there, trying. She's looking in her Bible. <laughs> Anybody guess? Frogs, followed by gnats or the flies. Anyone next. Flies, and then the livestock. Okay, so that's five. There's five more. Anybody? Boils, who said boils? Very good. Colette. Hail. Locusts. Every 17 years, I don't know if it happens over here, does it? Locusts come out, cicada. Cicada. Yeah, yeah. They're they're coming around. Darkness, everybody should know this last one. If you're not, then you need to see me after church. Death of the firstborn, firstborn. exactly. The death of the firstborn. So God had, had, remember the the 10 plagues, it's really interesting stories to read throughout Exodus. But anyways, he had, All that happened, again, remember the story, right? Did any of these fall on the people of Israel? No, No, only the Egyptians, exactly. Now, so God had had really powerfully moved through these ten plagues, and the the people of Israel are seeing all this. And, of course, that's not all. He miraculously parts the Red Sea, and they walk through it. Uh, While in the wilderness, twice they received water from a rock. Remember that? The provision of manna. And quail from heaven. And of course, just a constant reminder of God's presence. What was He by day? A cloud. A cloud. And at night, He was what? Fire. So God's miraculous acts and His constant presence led the people through the wilderness. And so they're about to enter the promised land, and we're all going to turn in our Bibles to Numbers 13. The Old Testament workout this morning: Numbers 13, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Get your phone out, get your Bible out. But I mean, just miracle after miracle, signs and wonders galore. Okay, and the very a, a physical, visible presence of God in the form of a cloud and fire. And they're about to enter the Promised Land. And what we read from the report of the 10 spies who scouted the land. This is the story. Starting in verse 25, number 13. When they return from spying out the land at the end of 40 days. So Moses sends out 10 spies. They are looking over the promised land for 40 days they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the the fruit of the land. Excuse me, the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, we went into the land where you sent us and it certainly does flow with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Again, the promise to Abraham, the promise to the people were that you would inherit a land Flowing with milk and honey. So God has literally kept his promise to Abraham and his people. They would give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Unfortunately, the story continues. Verse 28. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites, And the Amorites are living in the hill country. The Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Now, again, I remind you, what has God done to demonstrate his power to these people? You get the picture, right? So ten plagues have devastated Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. He's provided water from them in in the desert. And they still won't believe in him. So he threatens to wipe them out. And start over through Moses. Makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't think that Rose and I are high in compassion and or gifts or mercy. Okay. So, yeah, I'd start over. Stop sucking the auction out of my land, be gone for me, you know. And start over. Now, but how does Moses persuade the Lord to not carry out his plan? Well, let's continue. This is in Numbers 14, verses 13 through 19. But Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land, They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, For you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations who have heard your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land that he swore to give them, that he has killed them in the wilderness." And now, please, let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. So why did God relent? Very simply, Moses appeals to the what? The name of God. So when we approach God in prayer, we have to remember who he is as revealed in what? His many names. And that is why we are to hallow his names. Now let's talk about that for a moment here. Hallowed what? It says, hallowed be thy name. It's a word we don't understand. We don't use it. Probably our understanding of hallowed comes from Halloween. Halloween. But in his Gettysburg Address, just a few months after the pivotal battle of the Civil War in 1863, standing on the battleground where so many men in blue and gray shed their blood, Abraham Lincoln declared, we cannot hallow, we cannot consecrate, and we cannot dedicate this ground. Why would he say that? Because the battlefield at Gettysburg was already hallowed or made sacred by the brave men who fought and died there. And that really gives us a a good definition of what it means to hallow something. It's to treat it as sacred and holy and worthy of the highest veneration and respect. So the prayer is this. Lord, may your name be treated with respect and honor because your name is sacred and holy. So when we pray... I mean, when you, you hallow God's name when you treat it with the utmost respect. That is why you don't flippantly come into the presence of God, which is why I try and prepare us. You know, we, we should not be distracted. You need to prepare yourself to come and worship God because of who he is as revealed in his name. But let's look at the word hallowed to give you more understanding. It's an archaic term. It means holy or sacred. But what does it mean to be holy? In simple terms, it means to be different. But in more complex terms, it means to be a different sphere, a different quality of being. This is why God is called the Holy One. He exists and has a different quality of being than our, our own lives. He is just separate from us. And now this idea of difference comes the idea of reverence. Let's get, look at some stories this morning. In Numbers chapter 20, turn there, the people of Israel in the desert, once again, they're complaining to Moses about a lack of water. Moses, and again, you remember years ago, when um, Pastor Jason was here and he talked about this and what it was like to be in a desert without water. It wasn't easy. But they're complaining about water. So Moses takes this complaint before the Lord and receives the following instructions in Numbers 20, verse 8. It says, Take the staff... And assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water, so you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. Pretty clear and easy instructions to follow, right? He'd done it before. Of course, he was told to what? Yeah, and so he was told to speak to it before he had to strike the rock. That's how it worked out. Anyways. Look at verse 10, 11. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly be- together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. It was reversed, Ron, yeah. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. So instead of speaking to the rock as commanded, Moses struck it twice with his staff. And what was God's response? Look at verse 12. Because you may think, well, no big deal, right? No, it's a pretty big deal. This is how you hallow his name. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Now it says, because God did not uphold, because Moses did not uphold God as holy, now the word holy there. It's the same word in the Old Testament for hallowed. It's the same word. It means to be sacred, set apart, revered, obeyed. Before the people, he was not allowed to lead the people into the promised land. So it's a serious matter to hallow the name of God, to keep it sacred and holy. Thus we hallow his name. How? According to this story. By doing what he says, which is obedience. We obey him. Now, the Jews understood this the importance of hallowing the name of God, and so did Jesus. And that's why, after our Father who is in heaven, what follows immediately? Hallowed be thy name. And that is what I call the priority in prayer. So when we pray to the Father, we are to begin by praying, How would be your name? Because all we've gone through so far in talking about prayer is we've addressed God as Father. We understand who he is. The first thing that we ask, the first petition, the first request, is that God's name would be hallowed or revered. Now, this has uh, stunning implications for us and for how we pray. I've always loved this quote from A.W. Pink, and he says this, How clearly, then, is the fundamental duty in prayer set forth? Self in all its needs must be given a secondary place. And the Lord freely accorded the preeminence in our thoughts and supplications. Supplications, for those of you who don't know, just simply means it's asking, it's requesting. This petition, this request, how be thy name, must take the precedence for the glory of God's great name is the ultimate end of all things. In other words, folks, and this is hard for us because it's it's a transition we all must work through, and you have to work through it to get to this point. Prayer doesn't begin with our concerns. Prayer begins with God's concerns. To put it another way, prayer doesn't begin with us. It begins with God. Unfortunately, as I've mentioned, we operate out of a foundation of self. The three most important people in my life are me, myself, and I. If I want an intelligent conversation, I talk to those three people. I'm all about self. That is why I've said this. In in you, when you study and, and understand, and you really study like this prayer, you understand then that the death of self—that's the beginning of true prayer. I always remember that when I heard John MacArthur or read John MacArthur, and it makes so much sense. That the death of self is the beginning of true prayer. Thus, I have been what? Crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He is the first. He is a priority. We must die to self. So, God is the focus of all prayer. Think about this this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it begins with God. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. How does it end? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So it begins with God and it ends with God. Think of it this way. Prayer is to give God the privilege of displaying his majesty. And only his children can pray to him, right? And so you... Have the privilege of prayer and the privilege of allowing god to display his majesty through who through who you only his children it's only you well how is that done then And it is only done god's majesty is only displayed in our lives and through our lives when we bring our lives into harmony with his will. That only happens when self is not on the throne. So the most pressing question that needs to be answered this morning is really this, how is God's name hallowed among us? Let's answer that right now. In Martin Luther's catechism, one of the questions asked about the Lord's prayer is this, How is God's name hallowed among us? And the answer is simple. God's name is kept holy or hallowed when his word is taught in its truth and purity, i.e. the word of God is simply preached in truth and purity. And we as the children of God live holy lives according to it. I can preach it. Other people can preach the truth and purity, right? Right? I can't live your life for you. I can't make that choice to say no to sin. You have to do that. When you do that, then and only then are you hallowing his name. So when you have the right thoughts of God, and that's why right doctrine and and, and the truth being preached is so important, it's just you get the first half of the equation done. You have right thoughts of God. And then you do the right deeds from God, you are how in his name. Now there are plenty of people who don't have the right thoughts of God. They have wrong thoughts of God. And consequently, they don't have right lives of God. But this may sting a little bit. Let's face it. There are plenty of people who have right thoughts of God, but not right lives of God self-rules. And we bring the beginning of how in his name to fullness when we live a life of obedience to him. So how it be your name implies that we are already trying to live the right lives of God before you pray. If your life isn't right from with God, you're in sin and you pray our Father who is in heaven, you acknowledge God and you you pray Hallowed be your name. Is that a legitimate prayer? No, because your life isn't right. And God knows everything. So Hallowed be your name starts with a commitment to a holy lifestyle. That means this prayer is not just that God's name be Hallowed in heaven, or on earth, but folks that God's name be hallowed in me and in you. Because this is a prayer that says, God, allow me to put on display your holiness. So before you start asking for what you should get, you need to ask for what you should be. To put it more precisely, God, manifest your holiness by my right knowledge of who you are and my right living in response to it. Because that's what it means to hallow his name. So hallowed be thy name means, God, be on display through me. And that should be your heart's desire. And that's only done by living in obedience to his word, Now, how do I put him to practice in my praying, hallowed be thy name? I'm gonna help you this morning with that. Everyone turn to Psalm 86, and then we'll get to Jeremiah 32. I think this will be helpful for you, and practically how I am to pray. Now, I'm not gonna address how you live your life. I just have done that. Thus, keep short accounts with God. Confess your sin. Strive to live a holy life. Hallow his name in your life. And then when you pray... You pray like this. Again, before you start asking for what you should get, you need to ask for what you should be. And in Psalm 86 and in Jeremiah 32, I want you to watch how David and then Jeremiah follows the outline of the Lord's Prayer taught by Jesus in Matthew 6. And again, I say to you as a reminder, you don't need to pray our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. on earth. You, know, all, you, know, you can recite that and have absolutely, my thoughts can be somewhere else while I'm reciting that. Is that true prayer? No. No. This is not something just to be memorized and spit out and prayed before or after an athletic contest or before you eat. It's simply an outline to guide you in how to pray. Now, in Psalm 86, we don't know the historical context, what's going on in, in David's life. But we do know that David is in trouble, and he has an urgent need. All right, is everybody there in Psalm 86? Look at verses 6. I think it's 6 through 12 we'll get through. He says this, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. A couple things here. David's in trouble. Right? Anyone that interprets the passage can see that, right? And he's pleading for God's favor, i.e. his grace. That's what it means. And David expects an answer. See verse 7? Because God has already proven himself as a God who hears and answers prayers. You see that? Look at verse 8. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. David does not begin by asking. He begins with this his prayer, with an acknowledgement of what? The majesty and the character of God is the only God and praises him for what he's done. Look at verses 9 and 10. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So David goes on to say that the whole world should worship before God. So again, prayer is about putting God in his rightful place. Now, watch what happens next. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Now that God's in the rightful place, David says, I then bring my will into submission to his. You see that? That's true prayer. Bowing submissively. To the will of God. And I remind you, in this urgent request, this this desperate situation that he is in, has he even asked for anything yet? No, he has not. And then look at verse 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. In other words, out of willful submission, David in essence says, no matter what happens, Lord, I will praise you for your glory is my concern. Thus the song. That makes you think of the song, Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. You what? Give and take away. You give and take away, but my heart will truly say, despite what goes on, blessed be the name of the Lord. The, The cry of Job. No matter what happens, Lord, I will thank you and I will worship you. And then in verses 16 and 17, he finally makes his request known. So I want you to see that prayer is the occasion for God to demonstrate his glory. We pray so that God may be glorified. Remember John 14, 13? We've gone over this. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. Does God want to answer prayers, your prayers? Yes, Why do we know that? Because God is all about his glory. And when he answers your prayers, the Father is glorified. So we pray for the glory of God. We're not praying just to get something from God. Because we initially approach God as a big gumball machine in the sky, offer up a prayer or two, and out comes the gumball. Right? Because that's what we do, that's what we think. So watch this now. Look at this outline here. You see this in these verses we just went over? Does that look familiar to you? As you go through all that, you will see this. The address to God. He howls his name. His kingdom comes, he says. He wants his will done. He submits his will to the will of the Father. And then in verses 16 17, he finally asks, give us. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 32. We'll close with this. Jeremiah chapter 32. Starting in verse 6. Just so you know, just some background here as you're getting there. Chapters 32 and 33 of Jeremiah. The second part of, of the great song of hope that Jeremiah sang when he was shut up in the court of the guard at the order of King Zedekiah. Because in the eyes of the king, he was uttering treason in that he was advocating surrender to the king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, we know who that is, and his army were right outside the walls of Jerusalem. They were laying siege to Jerusalem. They'd been under siege for a considerable amount of time, and of course, the people were starved, very close to starvation, and and to surrender. And eventually, the city would fall into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar, as Jeremiah prophesied. But in the midst of all this, you find this this story, and I think you'll relate to it, Uh, because God directs Jeremiah to do something that made absolutely no sense, purchase land, I was thinking of this and laughing. I would not want Jeremiah to be my realtor because he has an awful sense of timing. And so much about realtor, you know, realty is location, location, location. In the location of this particular plot of land, at this time in history, the prices were going to go way down. Look at verse 6. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, is coming to you, saying, "Buy for yourself my field, which is at Anathoth, for you have the right of redemption to buy it." Now, folks, in that circumstance, this is an incredible or remarkable act of faith. Obviously, this was the worst possible time to be buying property in Judah, because what was going to happen? They were going to be <laughs> taken over. Okay. Jerusalem was under immediate threat of capture by the Babylonian army. The entire land would be subjected to who knew how many years of desolation and darkness and despair. But Jeremiah obeys the voice of the Lord and he purchases the land. And he goes through, and there's this long section where he goes through the actual uh, process of purchasing land and makes it official. And what I love about this story is I can relate to it so much, and I hope you do too, because here's this great prophet of the Lord, Jeremiah, and he still is, quite frankly, unsure. He's put on a good show in front of everybody. We're going to look at what he struggles with in his heart. Because he's unsure of the reason why the Lord had him do this. I mean, Jeremiah's a smart guy. He's throwing money away, right? Well, this is what he goes to the Lord in prayer, and watch this prayer. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord, saying, "Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. You guys remember that song growing up in church? Yeah. Nothing is too difficult for you. Who shows loving kindness to thousands, but repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. Great in counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, given to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind, and you have made a name for yourself as at this day. Again, we see what? The name of God being exalted or hallowed. You have brought, verse 21, you have brought your people out Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and with wonders and with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror and gave them this land which you swore to their forefathers to take possession of it. All right, to give them a land filled with milk and honey They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey your voice or walk in your law. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore you have made all this calamity come upon them. Behold, the siege ramps have reached the city to take it, and the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. And what you have spoken has come to pass, and behold, you see it. (laughs) That's an awful lot. Now the request. You said to me, O oh Lord God, buy for, yourself with, buy for yourself the field with money and call in witnesses. Although the city is given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Look at this now. Same thing here. The long introduction. our oh Lord God, he addresses him, and then he goes into this, hallowed his name. He wants his kingdom come, and so does the Lord. He gave the people this land, Right? His will was done. They didn't obey, so he punished them. And he just simply wants to know why, basically. Because in verses 26 on, you get God's answer. You see all that? That's how we pray. God has given the priority. I know him as a father, so I can approach him. I put him first in my prayers. So practically that means that when I am praying, most of my time and most of your time is how his name. It is worshiping him. It is praising him. It is reciting, memorizing. the. You notice what David prayed and what Jeremiah prayed, they were eerily similar, weren't they? This is who you are, God. You revealed yourself as this way. You brought the people of the land of Egypt. You'll see that over and over again. They remember who God is, what he had done. They're praising him for his loving kindness, for his goodness, for his steadfast love, for his mercy, for his compassion. So all of that, you know, the majority of the praying is is on God. And when you pray that way, your asking is, is there's not a whole lot of asking. And then what happens, you see, is God answers, He responds. That is how you pray. And again, as I said to you, this type of praying takes time because we have to retrain ourselves how to think because our lives are all about self. And we live in a world that exalts self. Thus the importance of dying to self. And the only way you're going to die to self, only way that's going to happen is in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit filled life is a life of surrender and dependence. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to die to that sinful nature that reigns within me and it will always be there until I am separated from this body and go to be with the Lord to keep that at bay and to put him on the throne day by day moment by moment and I reinforce the truth by praying back to God his name, who he is remembering what he's done then and only then do I get to a request. Now we've gotten through our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be thy name, but it doesn't stop there. It's thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And that's all about God, by the way. Give us is us, and we're not even there yet. So what I want you to do, the application point, is hallow his name in your life and in your prayers. That's the big thing. Because hallowing his name begins before you go to God in prayer by living in a holy life. So we're going to close with a song <clears throat> that it's been years since. I don't think you have not sung this song since I've been here. I know you've sung the song before, but it puts the focus on God. So I'm going to pray. We'll close the song. And we have one more brief announcement after this song. So everyone stand. This is a song that should wrap up this sermon, I think, very nicely. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you to put you in your proper place because our life is not about ourselves, at least it shouldn't be. It should be all about you in your glory. And so we sing for your glory, Father, this morning in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.